Hello once again, friends. This conversation is with my dude, Matt Quick, who I met in the Fit for Service Fellowship. Right away, Matt and I connected on creativity, art, music. We really just bonded on our perspective around the world. And I am really excited to unleash this conversation to others because his perspective is so cool. We go into his journey and highlight the different catalysts and experiences that he has gone through that have shaped him into who he is today. And Matt is an incredible artist. The first time I saw his paintings, I was absolutely blown away. And you can check those out at the Instagram link that I've put in the show description. He does freelance art, graphic design, logos, all that cool stuff. So if you have a project you want to reach out to him for, please don't hesitate. I'll include his email in the show description as well. Thank you for your presence, your attention, and just being you, sending you all the love and gratitude. like a sigil if you're familiar with the term right it's a, a symbol what is it what is a sigil a sigil to my understanding is basically a symbol that is a combination of it's almost like a almost like a vision board but it's a symbol for a vision board so like and i guess more esoteric practices or maybe hermetic practices it could kind of be used to sort of encapsulate like your your mission or uh, your your aim or your ideal or like maybe your your culture even sort of okay. like like a combination of symbols that um you know <laughs> this is gonna get kind of interesting but basically it, it can be used to manifest and um I guess in certain manifestation practices um like if you look at it um during the moment of orgasm people find or uh, believe. Um, that that's how you manifest what that sigil represents to you, you know, whatever the goal of you or your, um, or your community shares in common. That's so interesting because yeah. the state of orgasm is like the highest possible state of bliss. So yes. you're seeing it from almost like the highest frequency available. Right, right. Um, and, and from uh, what I found, um, you know, in, in sort of my, um, my own sort of curiosity has led me down the road of, of manifestation and using orgasm to manifest. And it's sort of like that moment is like a big surrender of you really just becoming like one with the awe and yeah. with the one. And so in that moment, and if you're like receiving that information in that moment while you're like totally surrendered to, to the the all and the oneness of it that um i guess it works its magic most effectively in that moment yeah oh that's so 
we're we're already rolling and this is perfect so we'll just we'll get right into it um, <laughs> what i wanted to talk about anyway <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um well it's so so cool that this is coming up because i feel like a whole doorway that opened for me recently was understanding like the cosmic perspective of sexuality um and sex and and orgasm and like i've always been able to understand that it is a an essential component of creation like on an mm-hmm. intellectual level but now i'm really starting i feel like i'm almost you know that like you move from understanding something intellectually to almost like downloading it into your body and it's mm-hmm. like moving into that feeling of it and like it, it turns into like it's like a download it's like a knowing um rather than like an, a thinking about it yes uh, and I started my uh, human design book uh, the first time and it starts out where it's talking about how the universe was created. And so it's, it explains that it's the whole universe is made up of yin and yang energy and yin energy is protons and neutrons. And then the yang energy is electrons and neutrinos. And neutrinos are subatomic material, subatomic particles that, that carry material information in them. And so together, these two oppo- almost opposing energies make up the universe. And how the universe started was there was a yin egg and a yang seed and the yang seed penetrated the yin egg and that created the big bang and (laughs) isn't that that mind-blowing and then it explains that the universe is still only in its stage of like it's only been conceived it hasn't even reached a stage of being birthed yet so the Mm. universe is still in the process of going through um evolution in the womb and that Mm. it hasn't even reached birth yet and it's just like making my making my head completely spin and then have you heard of the book called the sophia code i have yeah i've heard about it yeah i just started that recently too and it basically talking about how the pure white light, the divine creatrix of everything is the divine feminine. And the divine feminine birthed the divine masculine, which is a singular universe. And then within that divine masculine field of consciousness, that container of consciousness is more of the divine feminine. So it's like the metaphor of a pool. And the container holding the water is the divine masculine. And then the water itself is the divine feminine. And so then if you go all the way back up to the top to the Sophia, the pure white light that has birthed the universe, that's almost like showing you that in that, divi- in that ultimate divine feminine, there is the womb of the baby that is the universe. And there's multiple of these babies in the womb. And that's basically multiverse theory in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. 
it, yeah, it is, it is. I mean, what comes up for me, probably because of my like uh, Christian background is the idea of like, we are made in the image of God and that each unit itself has that, that light or that, um, you know, fundamental element of consciousness within it that, and that's all that the larger thing is that births all these sort of fractal versions of itself into existence. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So what do you, how do you, what has the journey been like from being raised in a Christian or religious upbringing and then moving kind of out of expanding that container Mm -hmm. into more of like a, um, generalized spiritual perspective. And that's probably a loaded question, but like, what, what has that kind of looked like for you and your belief systems from kind of like moving out of the specific religion mm-hmm. more into like just universal, like spirituality? Sure. Yeah. Um, great, great question. I guess, you know, I never fully bought it. Um, is I, I didn't enjoy church. It just, you know, it didn't resonate. I, I didn't know that term at the time or what that meant or whatever. But like looking back, I'm like, it didn't resonate with me. I, 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 I just wasn't feeling it. You know what I mean? That of course there's like a lot of pressure there. Like, Oh, I want to see my family again when I die. I don't want to burn for eternity. You know what I mean? So, so I want to be good and I want to, you know, make sure uh, I accept Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and personal savior so that I get to go to heaven. You know, I don't, um, so there are those those sort of techniques that are used to sort of manipulate you or condition you into the into the community or into the into the culture. But um, for me personally, you know, I, I think it definitely went from um, church every Sunday, Sunday school, um, sort of traditional. You know, parents were very um, traditional, like Irish, Catholic, Roman Catholic, um, and so that just being handed down to me. And, but I never, you know, I never quite bought it. I always had a lot of questions. And by the time I made it to, I think it was junior or senior year religion class where we studied world religions, I started learning about Buddhism and thinking like, wow, this is really interesting. And people believe something that seems quite different to what I believe. And it kind of makes a little more sense to me. Like, even though I barely scratched the surface, um, like I, this kind of makes a little bit more sense than, than the like, you know, God made you and you're good and you go to heaven or you're not, you know, and you go to hell. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and so I guess I always had a lot of doubt is what I'm getting at. Um, with, with, uh, what I'd been handed and taught and conditioned into. Um, and then as, as I got older, I, I almost went full swing, uh, and, and psychedelics kind of had a part of this too, as well as just science and, um, some of the people I was around and just the other downloads I receiving into like full atheism really and just a total rejection of all those ideas um and thinking that they were really just a construct of this of this um power structure um and it took a while to sort of um you know and that was kind of a a dark time it was kind of like a little more i guess hedonistic you know what i mean i sort of fell into um more nihilistic and hedonistic um sort of modes of being. And this is probably, you know, like late twenties, I would say, um, early thirties. And that, that never really resonated either. It got to a point where I realized like, I I never felt completely right about this. I always felt like there was something more, like there was some deeper meaning here. Um, 
And, you know, it's, and, and those are things that I would receive just in feeling, you know what I mean? Like whether it was on a run or reading a certain book or a special conversation or moment with a certain person that made me feel like, I feel like there's something else going on around here. And it's not just, you know, pre-RNA molecules that have, you know, settled into the ocean 3 billion years ago. And here we are, like, I, I feel like there's something else happening behind things. And, um, and when I sort of started to trust that, it sort of shifted into that, the, this sort of m- much more accepted um, understanding that there is more happening. And, and I, I really barely know anything about it. And so just being open to the fact that these other things are happening and kind of listening to that has sort of like really pulled me into some interesting spaces as far as what I believe spiritually, um, my purpose, um, things that are happening around me. And then I've just, you know, and then you just have even more and more interesting experiences and you get into things like breath work. And when you get deeper into plant medicine, um, yeah. And then the, and then the magic really starts to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, That's so interesting that you went through a phase of, of atheism as mm-hmm. well. Um, and it kind of like you, you, you were on one side of the pendulum and then it swung all the way over to the other and then mm-hmm. kind of like settled back in the middle. And you feel like psychedelics had a big role in, in that whole kind of journey of swinging over and then coming back to a more uh, centralized understanding of like, well, it's, 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 all of this science understanding that I'm learning about and DNA structures and evolution, but that doesn't automatically put out the other side as well. It's almost kind of like this combined perspective of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like just a tremendous amount of like respect and appreciation for science and for everything that is happening, but also like understanding that we've still barely scratched the surface and that what we do know in the world of science has, you know, just been, you know, information that's available to us through our senses, you know what I mean? Through the, the limited capacity that the, our, our own senses are able to pick up and learn and receive, but there's just, you know, so much more happening. Um, so yeah. And psychedelics kind of, uh, it, it's funny because they kind of took me on that whole ride as well. Of like originally sort of, finding, you know, when I first did psilocybin when I was 18, 19, um, and the the download I received from that, like when I was just like literally like leveled, like pinned to the ground, looking at like a sunset, you know what I mean? Just, and the original, you know, my, my ability to explain that was God put these here so we can appreciate just how unbelievably beautiful life is like that. That was, you know, as just a kid riding around a skateboard and then needing to like sit down to just try to process like just the overwhelming beauty of like the, the colors of a sunset and being like, Oh God, I got it. Like God put that here so we can appreciate it. And, um, and then as I went more into things like LSD and got more into science, um, I started to go like, huh, like what really is happening here? Like maybe, you know, things just seem to be happy, you know, and just, um, having a very sort of masculine objective view of nature, you know what I mean? Whereas, um, and so there was separation there. And I think that's what sort of led me more into atheism and as well as sort of a, um, a, a mistrust in the church at that point, I think made me feel like, oh, this is all just a bunch of bullshit. 
and uh, it's it was used to control people, and um, you know, all the way back to the Romans and the Council of Nicaea, and taking these um, <clears throat> pagan rituals, if you will, and these other religions, and sort of combining them and creating a structure that would allow them to control people. Um, and so I think there was, uh, you know, some resentment and some um, rejection of all of that that sort of sort of went into the, the sort of atheism as well as these new sort of um, perspectives that I was now having on life. Um, and then, yeah, so as I just sort of continued down that path and sort of uh, tried to, it, it really came back to just being a little, being open-minded once again and not thinking I had figured it out that it is all just science and once, and sort of becoming open once again and having that beginner's mind. Um, that's when all the, all the light started coming back in again. Um, and that's just been in more, you know, in more recent years. It's so, yeah, it's, it's awesome that you say that. I was just talking with, uh, Amy Edwards actually, uh, mm. uh last week. And yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, right. Um, we were going all into like philosophy and quantum theory and all this crazy wow. shit. Um, but to what you said, it's like once you admit and you're honest with yourself that maybe you don't know really mm-hmm. what's going on, that's kind of when the universe slips in. It's like, all right, I'll show you. Um, yeah. and, and I think that has something to do with like when you think about quantum potentials and like it's your observation of a timeline or a a potential that then creates that timeline um or creates the um i i'm gonna completely mess it up because i don't know quantum theory really really at all i just think about it and and talk about it um but it's really like when you have doubt in something and you and that could be to the extent where you believe that your understanding is sure fact then that doubt creates um it creates almost like a a wall of being able to observe the potential timeline where things are outside of what you already believe in and so then once you open up you kind of remove that that doubt of like oh well this couldn't be true because i already know what's going on once you remove that (laughs) you're opening up that quantum potential, that timeline to kind of surface and, and make its way into your life. And so, yeah, it's just so interesting to think about how, how doubt and cutting yourself off from being open-minded then creates the reality that's so closed off. Mm-hmm. You can't really learn other things and, and pick up on information that's coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. That's, that's pretty much exactly. And once, and it's just, it's, it, it was kind of became like a kind of, there was like almost like a liberation. You know what I mean? I almost thought like, Oh, that's what awakening is. I'm waking up to the fact that like, I'm just this, you know, it's just life and nature. And that's the only thing that's happening and it's all good. I don't have to believe in an afterlife. You know what I mean? But like, but even that, like, I just never felt like right or like totally aligned with, um, you know, maybe it was, a me still wanting to believe in more you know what i mean but it's but it just it just never felt completely right and it kind of let me down um kind of a dark path um and sort of ultimately to to like a sort of a dark night of the soul i guess where certain challenges and things happened in my life that really sort of um and it's interesting because even that gets back to like stories 
from the Bible and sort of these archetypes and things like that. Um, and it's, and I, I started to realize like, I kind of was on this sort of journey or this sort of evolutionary path of my own, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. I think we, I think we almost in, in this current period of time that we're going through, I think that it's really, um, almost necessary for us to hit that like dark night of the soul to almost like mm-hmm. rock bottom to then go through. I think, I think our generation is kind of opening that up, um, for the coming generations to maybe be able to not have as, uh, dark spots or, or challenging times because we're kind of pushing that resistance a little bit further away. But mm. I think it's so important to know that the rock bottom and those those dark nights of the soul it's like that's that's what allows you to understand the full end of the spectrum and <laughs> it's, uh, it's the Carl Jung quote uh no trees branches can grow to heaven if its roots don't also reach to hell um, mm. and it's so true um, mm-hmm. I've I've been there too I've I've definitely had uh, I feel like I've had a few dark nights of the soul, but definitely um, some main ones where it led me down uh, a path of um, partying, you know, out, over-consuming alcohol, drug addiction. I was I was addicted to Xanax for a while in my early twenties, and um, yeah, really just like that window of kind of feeling so lost in the darkness, and then and then being able to pull yourself out. Um, it's so important for people to know that it's possible, you know, that, that just because you're down there, it doesn't mean that's, that's where you're stuck or that's mm-hmm. where, um, yeah, that's, that it's permanent because nothing's permanent. It's always changing. It's always moving and, and being able to, to know that you have the power to pull yourself out of that. Um, mm-hmm. so, so important. And I think we're really going through that as like a collective right now. You know, we're really hitting that, that collective dark night of the soul. <laughs> I think so too, man. And I think like what, what you experienced and what I experienced, I think, I think a lot of that is because like, you know, I was sort of, I cut off what the, what my intuition, what my heart, what inside, what my inner world was telling me. And I started to like believe the ways of the world, you know what I mean? That sort of worldly thing of of you know just work and power and nature and and this is how it is and and this is how it goes and what you know it it just really constricted my own view of what life is or what could be and i think that's that led me down to a very dark place and everything started to fall apart and break down and i was just like ah you know and this like why and then like slowly rebuilding from there and like okay well you know, this, this feels right, or this feels okay. And start to pay attention to, to your intuition and to those feelings. And, and I think, uh, I think that's a huge part of it. It's just the Western world being so cut off from intuition. And so, um, just completely relying on the rational minds that that has led us into this, this jam that we're all in, you know? Yeah. Cause intuition is, is nature. It's our, it's our connection to the divinity, um, the source, all that is to the creator. Um, and when that's cut off, then it's only fear because fear mm-hmm. is what lives in the mind. And so, mm-hmm. and that's where the ego lives. And so if the ego is so programmed to live in a state of fear and, and logic and, 
uh, rationalism and, and only reason, um, then there's no way to listen to the intuition. And so like, what do you feel, how do you feel like you've developed more of a relationship with your intuition and you've been able to trust that communication with it um, from moving away from that dark night of the soul and, and starting sure. to hear that a bit more? Yeah, I, that's a, such a great question. And for me, it kind of gets back to the, like I had to sort of see the darkness to, to, to see the light. Like I had to go through that dark night of the soul first to find that there is light on the other side of it all. And, uh, and it's sort of the same thing with the intuition. I had, to, I had to like get burned a bunch of times by not listening to it to eventually be like, maybe I should listen to that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so, yeah, I guess trial and error and be like, well, that feeling's there, but I don't necessarily have to, you know what I mean? Like, I can still go do this thing. Like, I can still, you know, is that, that's just fear. Like, I can still, and then, you know, I'd do that thing and something bad would happen. I'd be like, I should have listened to that voice or that feeling, you know? So, yeah, for me, again, it's, it's, it was, it was sort of not doing it and rejecting it and then realizing that it was right and that I need to, has just sort of woken me up, you know, to like start listening to that, you know? Yeah. What do you? There for a reason. Yeah, for sure. What do you feel like uh, art and creating art does for your intuition? Hmm. Man, what does it do for the intuition? Yeah, I, I think for me, it allows me to get into flow and and just be that much more in the present, and 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 shows me that I don't have to constantly be thinking. I can kind of just let it happen and let it flow out of me. And that's when, and there's an immediacy to it. And that is when the, the magic really happens and when like my favorite moments happen. And if I think about it too much, I, I fuck it up. You know what I mean? And I like ruin that cool brushstroke or that cool idea. Like I beat it to death or whatever with, you know, trying to control it. And so there's really this, this balance ultimately is what it is, you know, of that, of, of being present and allowing those sort of impulses to just happen. And also having sort of a great, you know, trying to steer the whole thing and having this sort of um, end goal and wanting it to go in a certain direction, but, but not, not trying too hard, you know what I mean? And kind of just letting it happen and, and getting out of your own way. And so art is really sort of a microcosm for how you can live your life that way and how your life can kind of be that work of art of, I do have these, I know what I want and I, you know, sort of letting the intuition sort of guide and then also using the rational mind to sort of like, you know, stay between the lines and, and keep it moving forward. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, <clears throat> that's exactly it. And it's, it's allowing the intuition to pull you through the process in, uh, in getting closer and closer to that present moment, attention and awareness and flow state. And that mind is the it's, it's the backup. It's the computer that follows behind you and it's processing everything and kind of storing it and then logically analyzing it and helping you. It, it can help reinforce your intuition when it is that backup. Uh, but when it comes first, then you're negating everything that the intuition is built in for. Uh, mm -hmm. when, when did creating artwork start for you? How long have you been creating artwork for? Yeah, I, uh, you know, my mom tells me that she used to have to pry the crayon out of my hand when I was in the crib. So I've just always been doing it and uh, doodling and drawing and messing around with watercolors and stuff like that for a long time. So pretty much my whole life. 
I never really um, thought it was a thing that I could do like for a living or, or that it would necessarily be a path that I was that passionate about or would go down. Um, because I, you know, I, I was extremely passionate about music. Um, I always played sports, um, like year round, like three, four seasons a year, I was playing sports. Um, and but but drawing was always the thing that I was just naturally doing, whether I was in class or, you know, I saw a cartoon and I wanted to try to draw it or recreate it or I would draw little um, wolverines and the beasts like I had a little chalkboard and stuff like that. So I was always drawing uh, characters that I liked. And uh, as I got older, I started drawing women and I would draw pictures of uh, of of women. Um, and, you know, I they would get a little more um, nude and a little, even a little more pornographic as I got older. So I would try to hide them and stuff. And, um, and so as, as my sexuality started to develop it, that, you know, expressed itself in the art that I was creating. Um, and, and as I took art class, it was really cool because I had an amazing teacher um, throughout high school named Mr. Jan Pieri. And every day we started out with a reading from the Tao, which was awesome. Oh. And, yeah. Every day. And, um, and then he would also like, you know, there would be class was 40, 45 minutes or whatever. And he would be like, we we can listen to whatever you guys want, but it can't have words. It has to be instrumental music. So he taught me that as well. And, uh, it was really encouraging. Um, and I sort of just had a knack for it. Like I, you know, I always got an A in art and he always, I got praise from him that encouraged me to make better drawings. Um, but there was also a lot of, uh, external factors that were sort of um deterring me from from the art path too a lot of external resistance whether it was um you know getting teased by like a a jock type friend for being artsy or um even from like i remember my girlfriend's mother at one point you know asked me what my major was going to be you know when i was a senior in high school going off to college and i was like i don't know you know maybe like undeclared fine arts and she was like oh right you're one of those artsy kind of guys and i was just like oh no it's just like the word i was like this is i shouldn't be doing this this isn't what a, a man should be doing you know um and so i've definitely wrestled a lot with with that and um but yeah as far as creating i've just kind of always been doing it you know the music bug bit like really hard by the time i was 18 or 19 so i was <laughs> always doing that um but at the same time like if a design project came up um you know in in one of my film classes or something like that it always came to me or if a friend had a project and he needed a drawing or some artwork i'd help him out and so it kind of just kept always kind of kept coming back up and it wasn't until i uh decided when i was like 26 that i should you know maybe graphic design you know i was thinking a little more practical and i was I've been working in restaurants and going to school and having odd jobs and feeling a little lost. And I thought that if I got into graphic design, maybe I could get a job and then that could, you know, provide me with the stability so I could like make music and stuff like that in my free time. And when I started taking these graphic design colleges, just at Baltimore community college, I, my teachers were like, Hey dude, like you, you can draw, like you have something like you should be making artwork. And so I, I just feel extremely fortunate that, that I had people like that and people like my high school art teacher along the way who encouraged me to do this thing that's now like this huge passion of mine that I'm like working at every day and trying to make the dopest shit I can possibly make. Hell yeah, that's awesome. I I like what you said about, you know, the society will bring in fear 
Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fear will always try and push us away from strengthening that connection to divinity, which I believe, you know, I mean, getting in the larger picture, everything's divine, but for a personal individual connection, um, you know, I think art and creativity um, is really one of the most transcendent um, practices and connections with mm-hmm. divinity. And so that collective, rational, logical mind will always come in and kind of try and mm-hmm. move you away from it with those people who would take subtle jabs, ah. at, take subtle jabs at you for for being an yeah. artist and being artsy. And then, then you get the other side who are the teachers that, that would lift you up and give you confidence mm-hmm. and encouragement. And I think that's a perfect example for your own individual voices too. Um, and it's like your own individual ego, like ego, logical rationalism versus your intuition. And it's like that fear from the mind will always try and push you away mm-hmm. from creating a stronger connection with your divine nature, but then the intuition will always try and push you forward and to mm-hmm. it. It's like, it's like having the, the devil and the angel on each yeah. shoulder. And it's like, it's mm-hmm. like, which one, which one are you choosing to listen to? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's it, you know, big ups to your, to your teachers that well for both. Cause clearly it, it strengthened it either way. And it pushed you mm-hmm. to, you know, where you are now, which is, doing the graphic design and then also doing your, your paintings and your, your actual, um, artwork. Um, and so where did, um, what changed about things when you started like looking inward and started creating more, um, spiritual habits and perspectives around it? Like what changed with your artwork? Did you notice anything that changed? Yeah, I think I think last year, um, you know, I always had that that sort of spiritual muse and that that inspiration that was coming from the psychedelic experiences um, that I wanted to integrate into my art. I've always appreciated art that I felt that was um, and music that it was psychedelic without having to make any um, like blatantly obvious references necessarily, but it still had that psychedelic effect. Um, and so I thought maybe that was something I could do with my art, like, you know, without just like the very obvious, um, you know, just, just a subtle way of, of intimating this psychedelic experience or something that might look good to you, you know, in a normal waking state of consciousness as well as an altered state. Um, so it was really just this, it's really just been this last year that has sort of started to. Um, push my art. You know, I was I was working on technique, and I had a lot of um, powerful um, plant medicine experiences. Um, like later in 2019, that in- encouraged me to start to integrate things like um, not only the the natural patterns that to me are very there's a very sacredness to something like like a pattern of duality that you might see in like a feather, um, you know, as well as sacred geometry and geometric patterns that we also see. In, in plant life um, and everywhere. So, and sort of chasing the muse of like this sort of female um, portrait appreciation and, and sort of merging it with natural patterns, symbols, geometry, 
and just seeing what happens and playing with it and experimenting with, with those ideas. Yeah. So I can totally see the movement also from like the mind into the, the intuition in that, you know, having, mm-hmm. being very focused on the technique and, and the, um, just the, again, the logic and kind of like the rationalism behind it, but then implementing more of the abstraction to it. And it's both that make the, the art, right? It's not like it's not one or the other. It's not the polarization. It's understanding both and using both sides of the spectrum to kind of find your own unique signature, um, creations and, and your u- unique signature sound. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's also been something super, um, super important to me as much as I'm not like thrilled about using, you know, that word, like what is important and what's not important when creating, um, something that I've always been, it's just that balance, you know what I mean? Trying to find that balance of, um, emulation. And obviously I'm inspired by so, so many great artists and musicians, but also like, you know, being inspired by everything that they've done and also finding my own unique voice and expression, which is the cool thing with painting, which is kind of like why I'm enjoying it so much right now is because I never had a class or anything like that. Like I'm totally self-taught, I guess. Um, You know, I like learned technically like graphic design, you know what I mean? Like I sort of learned that almost as if it were a trade and then, and I've taken drawing classes and, and, that's where I sort of focus on, on learning and technique. But when it comes to painting, it's like, I kind of just want to keep it as like free and organic as possible. So finding that, yeah, the balance between that, again, that, that technical, and then that just sort of free freedom of expression. Yeah, definitely. And finding that authenticity and that originality is almost like removing the focus of finding the originality and authenticity and just letting it flow through. Cause as you said, we soak up so much inspiration from other things, whether it be from music or, or art or just life from anything. And it's kind of about like soaking it in like a sponge and then wringing out what doesn't resonate with you. And then the creative channel is like a filter of all that inspiration through your, your perception and your perspective. And so that's what creates the originality is like the open heart and channeling that energy through the heart. And no matter what comes out, it's going to be original because it's your authentic perception of it. Um, Like how have you seen, so like it comes, I feel like the creative process a lot of times comes down to life habits, like daily habits that are outside of artwork as well. Um, and like how you're maintaining an alignment of energy just with your humanness, just, just being Matt every day. Have mm-hmm. you seen the difference from when you aren't as consistent with maintaining that energetic alignment versus when you are, and there's a, have you seen like a difference in the way your artwork comes out or just how you approach the process of making it? Yeah. 1000%. Um, consistency is huge. And um, it, not just consistency with like the practice itself and the process, but I feel like meditation and journaling um, have been tremendous in, in my ability to just find my center first 
So then, um, you know, and again, it just calms that mind and lets that kind of like recede a little bit. And then the feelings um, come through, you know, just I'm just so wired to like jump out of bed, brush my teeth, go to work, you know, go to school, whatever it was, you know. And so um, for me, by taking that time in the morning to to meditate and to find my center, really, and, you know, express some thoughts, just kind of do like a mind dump in my journal. Um, that's really helped me get out of my own way and find consistency with drawing. And then once you're consistent, it just starts flowing. Like it just kind of, you know, the drawings just start to fill the page on their own. Almost. It seems like all I have to do is be there for it, you know? Um, which is really cool because I'm like just starting to bring that into, into painting and design as well, where it's, it's a hard thing, you know, sometimes it's hard to find time to do all three, but I felt like drawing is that fundamental um, practice that sort of supports everything else. And if I commit to that, like, uh, as, um, Stephen Pressfield says in the war of arts, you know, the, the muse will start to, to come see you, you know, she'll yeah. talk up in the room. Yeah. It knows, it knows where you're going to be, knows where you're sitting every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we'll come find you. And, um, I think last week we were talking about the book, uh, big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert as well. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I mentioned it to you, but she yeah. talked about how ideas, um, and that's, I think it's essentially kind of the same thing as the muse. I think the muse is intertwined with also that intuition, that connection to source and, and creative consciousness. And then from there, the ideas will, will combine with that and they'll, they'll show up. They'll, they'll choose you to, uh, manifest into this reality through you. Um, and so mm -hmm. yeah, it really is, it really is about that, um, that consistency. Yeah, a thousand percent. And, and I think my ability, you know, uh, Stephen Pressfield also said this consistency weakens resistance. So it's, there's a momentum that happens and, um, your, your confidence builds, um, your strength to, to overcome resistance builds and, uh, and you start to want to do it because you see, you, you start to receive those little gems and have those little moments where you just, you you really are in flow and something dope, you know, happen. you're like, Oh, this, you know, I, I, especially when, you know, I'm such a harsh critic, you know what I mean? And, um, I'm on my work that, that, you know, to, to have a moment where I really like something, it's like, that just brings me right back to it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, uh, it's almost like, uh, in golf or something like that, you know, it's like, you're just shanking them and it's extremely frustrating and it's difficult, but you stick with it and you just, you just have that like one beautiful shot and you, it just, you were in perfect rhythm and it's just striped it right down the middle. And you're just like, Oh, that felt so good. Yeah. You know, you just want more, you know? Yeah. Where do you feel like perfectionism comes into play around that? Um, cause I've, I've really seen, um, and more, I think it's, this goes into life as well, but, um, perfectionism around the creative process for music, um, with artists and people that I've worked with, create even more resistance mm. when you're so focused on that on making it so perfect because you can always do something to to the piece of art that you're creating like it's a never-ending process and you almost have to to choose when to set it aside and let mm -hmm. it go um and so how have you seen that play into your own life because like really i've seen you know the idea of perfectionism just even take over people and they won't release you know i always go back to music but it's like they'll go six months to a year without releasing 
a track and it, there will be huge gaps in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think you can get too focused on that perfect that, cause then that's from mm-hmm. the ego, right? That's it's, it's trying mm-hmm. to make sure that it's, it's going to get the, the right type of attention and that validation and that it's going to be received in the way that you, you expect it to be received. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's almost like closing it off, letting it go, releasing it, is and not even releasing it, you know, like releasing the process, um, at least and saying, like, I'm done with this, I'm moving on to the next. That's how you progress in the process, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, if there's always something lingering, then you're never closing it off and moving it on to the next step because it's just taking up so much space within you. Yeah, yeah. Um, great question. I, I absolutely love this because I definitely struggle a lot with like that perfectionism. Um, and so I guess there, you know, I have a few thoughts on it and it can definitely be an excuse and it can also be a symptom of like a lack of confidence. You know what I mean? If you're struggling so hard to make this thing as perfect as possible, whereas like if you were, if you were truly confident with your, with your strokes or with, you know, with your licks on the guitar track you're laying down or whatever it is, you, you wouldn't be so hung up on trying to make it perfect right you'd be more confident in your ability to let it flow and um there's also there's also you know i actually learned this from jerry garcia like how it felt to him you know when he played on stage sometimes he would come off the stage just in a terrible mood just pissed off because he thought he played like shit and it felt awful and then he would listen to it you know days weeks whatever later and he'd be like that sounded fine like it sounded good you know what i mean so his his perspective an experience of how how it felt isn't necessarily like what it is you know and that's also something like some of the things that i've like made quickly and haven't been like super thrilled about and i've put out there anyway got like a significant response you know um and i got a lot of love and then there are other things that i worked super hard on and was really happy about and put it out and you know it just didn't really get that much you know attention or whatever and uh and so, you know, I have to keep in mind that my perspective of what's happening is really, again, it's just like my own judgment, you know, but again, from my mind, from the head of like what's happening and getting back to the perfectionism aspect of that, like, yeah, it's just that, you know, and then, and then you hear stories about a guy like Leonard Cohen, who spent like a year, over a year working on the song, Hallelujah. And it's an incredible song. Like it's arguably like, a, you know, perfect. You know what I mean? I personally love the Jeff Buckley version. It's a whole nother conversation, mm-hmm. but um, it's, you know what I mean? So there's something to be said for, for that as well, you know, about just like working on something relentlessly. Um, and I guess it really just comes down to finding your personal balance and your personal flow with that because, you know, perfection. I think when I was younger, um, not, not even when I was younger, like a year or two years ago, even with some of my drawings now, I tend to be very meticulous. And, and I think if I, by letting go of that, and again, just being like letting it flow and being more expressive, I think more interesting things happen. And so, yeah, let, letting go is again, this like big theme for me, um, not only in art, but in my life. And when it comes to, it comes to perfectionism, I think it's, I think it's just a, it's, it can really be a control thing that can kind of just constrict your process. And, um, you know, if you're so hung up on the outcome, it's sort of, it's it's not as fun, you know. It's really yeah. just not as fun. 
Yeah. It's, I mean, the outcome's not where the, it's not where the treasure is. It's not where the gold is. The gold is in the, in the process, in the learning through the process. And, um, I mean, what you described around the Jerry Garcia thing is like, I feel that with myself when I do podcast episodes and I'll, I'll listen back through a podcast episode and have a bunch of judgment around it and around the way that I'm talking or if I'm saying like too much or um, and I have so much judgment and then I'll listen to it like a week later and I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's still like, it, it, it just, it doesn't matter. It's whatever perception is kind of within you at that moment. And then it's who is perceiving, is it the small self? Is it the ego or is it the higher self? And knowing that each step forward, each step of letting go creates the confidence. Like you don't go into it either with, I mean, some people do, I think with just like full blown confidence, like I don't care what people think of me. Like I don't have judgment. Like I'm just going for this. But for a lot of people, I think building the confidence is part of the process. And that comes from letting go, from releasing it and from being willing to, to learn throughout that process. And so, yeah, understanding that the confidence is very much built a lot of time instead of just having it instilled in you um, is huge. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and and I think that's really where the consistency comes in and is and is crucial. Um, I think now that I'm in a more consistent um, period with my practice, I'm less of a perfectionist. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there are probably other reasons that contribute to that as well. And I've you know gone through a lot of growth this year um, and a lot of transformation, but I think. Uh, consistency is a huge part of sort of overcoming that, that impulse to just make it perfect. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, and we were, we were talking about this last week too, when we caught up, but how do you feel like the creative process in making art pulls up? It's like a healing process of, Mm -hmm. um, when you're, when you're doing it from a place of observation as well and, and not, doing as best you can of not falling into the stories of judgment of low mm-hmm. self-worth of different things like that. You can actually see as you're making art, what that is bringing up within you. If it brings up the judgment, if it brings mm-hmm. up the, the not enough, the not worthy, um, all of those different things. And so how do you feel like that's helped you, um, really witness that almost alchemizing process of energy within yourself as you go through it yeah uh beautiful man um it definitely brings up a, like the being in the process of self brings me through you know all this this whole journey of of thoughts and all these things that come up from fears insecurities doubt my own judgment and now um that I can be more observant of those things stepping back and being this uh, observer of oh I want this to be perfect um, so yeah, so I received that validation. So, so I'm good enough. You know what I mean? Not being good enough is a, something I've struggled with, um, you know, for most of my life. And so it's, it's really makes me more aware of these aspects of myself that, um, you know, do want that validation and do want to be good enough and, uh, do want attention, do want, um, you know, the, the girl I'm interested in to, to think I'm, I'm cool or, you know, that I can make dope art or whatever it is. Um, 
And so it's, it's the process has really brought me back to myself and made me a, very aware of aspects of myself that, um, again, I can, I can start to let go of, you know, I don't, I don't have to make anything to be worthy of love or appreciation. You know, I don't, I, that's not why I should be doing it, you know? Um, and you know, it's, it's also made me realize that I'm judging things for what I can get out of them too. You know, I'm worried about what, how other people are going to judge it. And yet I'm in, in thinking in, in realizing that I shouldn't, and then also realizing, well, I'm judging it the whole time too, like for what I can get out of it, instead of just letting it happen, letting it grow, like just letting the fruit, you know, letting, letting myself bear the, the fruit that is this art. And again, just getting out of my own way, getting past a lot of those, um, that harsh inner critic that wants to come up and say it's not good enough um, or, it's, or it's artsy and that, you know, <laughs> that I'm not worthy of love because I'm artsy. Um, or, or, you know, whatever kind of fears and insecurities bubble up, it, it, the, the process itself confronts me with a lot of those things. So it's been healthy in identifying them and uh, letting go. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Um, I think that there's also, this was actually just coming up as you were saying that, and I've never really thought about it before, but this idea that's been passed down for hundreds if not thousands of years uh more so hundreds with the communication tools and stuff but that um successful art or great artists have to suffer in order to make mm. art and it's almost like that's um a generational trauma that's being worked through from artists now mm. And that's what came up. And I didn't even really think about that, but that all of those things that you mentioned, you know, society's perspectives of pursuing the artist's path and different things like that. Oh, artists are crazy. They, um, they're, they're depressed, whatever it may be. Um, that is a big collective trauma that I think many people are working through right now. Um, as artists and understanding that that is also um, applicable to just life in general. And when you use art, you can kind of, as you said, observe and identify those things that are coming up and, and really then release them and let them go. Um, you mentioned something last week about David Cho, um, Dave Cho. Um, and have you seen or heard his recent episode on Joe Rogan's podcast? Yes, the like four hour one. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't finish it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he goes really into that too and about yes. how he's, he's in therapy and um, he was telling them, you know, my suffering, my depression, my judgment towards myself allows me to create great art. It allows me to be the artist that I am. And they responded and they said, well, have you tried the other way before? Mm -hmm. um, and he, it kind of like flicked a light bulb in him and he was like, oh, well, no, I haven't. I've always just kind of pushed it away um, mm -hmm. because that, that story is wrapped in, in his identity. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's, it's huge. We're really moving to a place of, of, higher, of higher consciousness artwork um, and um, understanding that the frequency that we put into art is transmitted. Art's like a portal of energy. And so whatever frequency you're putting in is then felt on the other side. Um, 
And yeah, it's just so interesting. It's so cool to kind of see the the transformation underway um, and the and the revolution. And I think that we're on the the cusp of a renaissance like revolution of artwork. Like it's about to it's about to explode. <laughs> I love it, dude. That's that's beautiful. Um, yeah, man. I do think that there's a uh, a big destructive, a very destructive myth um, that a lot of artists fall into, whether it's the sort of stereotype of the starving artist. Um, and you know, someone like, someone like Dave Cho who had a, or, or, you know, someone like Jimi Hendrix is, is an example I really like to use because he's not only one of my heroes, but, um, he's someone who had a very difficult life growing up and someone can be nothing but, um, you know, just like abused and, and put down, um, and, you know, go through all this, all this shit from just, um, from racism to being picked on. He lost his mother at an early age. You know, he was, you know, dirt poor for a long time there. Um, and what came out of him because of his, um, his biological disposition, all of his life's experience, the women in his life, as well as his own soul, you know, this, this perfection came out of him and his guitar. And, uh, you know, so what is it, what is it about, you know, suffering that, that leads to the impulse to create, which is, I think, a really interesting topic. But I also, you know, the other side of that is like, it is a, a destructive myth to think that that's the only way to, to foster that, that creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Or that you have to hold on to it at least and right. to continue um, to make great art. And it's like, it's not saying that no one should suffer or anything like that in life or go through pain and, and hardship and heart and trauma and hard experiences. But I think, again, the idea of letting go, it's about knowing that you can let go and you can still be a great artist and a great human without holding on to that suffering. Um, and in the, the last episode of uh, that Aubrey Marcus did with Paul Check. Did you happen to listen to that? It was a I heard it. weeks ago. They're yeah, talking about art and how limitation is what creates artwork. And that if there wasn't limitation, we wouldn't be able to create art. Because if you put it in the idea of like um, silence um, with sounds, that there has to be silence and breaks between notes in order to make music or it would just be the the one sound the ever expanding sound but because of the limitation mm -hmm. that's how you can find the rhythm and between the notes and between mm -hmm. the chord progressions and the melodies and and it's the same with um with letters with language and with <laughs> alphabet there's only 26 letters in you know many combinations to express that stuff through poetry through writing but it is because of that limitation that we are able to to do that we are able to find creativity and artwork through that and so i think it's the same thing with life with living as a human is understanding that the limitation is there as a um as a uh, a teammate as as uh kind of like something that will allow you to then express yourself mm. it's like a paradox it's like a paradox, mm -hmm. kind of like a paradoxical idea but um it makes sense it's the first time i've heard it um 
but yeah, it definitely, it makes sense. Totally, man. And I, I love that idea because it is, it's like whatever that, you know, those limitations are sort of what create the construct of the medium that is then to be, um, you know, used to create, whether it's the, the major scale or, um, you know, a four by four, beat, you know, rhythm yeah. or, um, at, you know, 140 BPM or whatever, or, or a certain palette of colors and how they harmonize or create disson dissonance. Um, and, and so it again, brings me back to Jimi Hendrix because like, I feel like he truly mastered like the rules and then because of his own nature and his own playfulness and his own genius, he broke them, but like with finesse, you know, yeah. like he, and I think that's like where the artistry really comes in. You sort of master the way, the construct, the limitations, you learn all that. And then, and then like the best artists are able to transcend that. And, and again, like break the rules with finesse, not because they don't know, you know, what the fuck they're doing they're, yeah. because you they know exactly what they're doing. So they're able to stretch time and change things and bend just the right notes and throw in those weird notes or whatever it is. And it makes it work. Yeah. In, yeah. in an amazing and a beautiful way. You know? Yeah. 100%. It is, it truly is transcendence. Art is transcendence. Um, mm -hmm. I think that just as you had mentioned, it's it, the creative process for artwork is the life process. Your life is a piece of art. And I think that's mm -hmm. what we go through in, you know, especially this, this 3D uh, reality that we're in. This, this third dimension is that the limitation is there for a reason. It has a purpose. It's there for us to understand what they are, for us to see the rules, to see the limits, and then transcend them and then break them. And the transcendence is when we start moving into these higher states of consciousness, when we see these rules that have been put in place, these um, belief systems, these constructs around like, oh, that's not how you live life. Like, no, no, you don't do that. But it's like, okay, well, what if I do try that? What if, what if I understand that that's these limitations, but then I try something else? What if I try and break them? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, so, it's so interesting to kind of see that that's really what we're in the midst of, I believe, right now, you know, is that, again, that dark night of the soul, because we're so ingrained in these rules and these limitations that they've taken us down and down and down further into into the trenches into the darkness and now we're we're all about to be like okay fuck these rules <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's an amazing time it really is and I, I i see that in myself you know even feeling like i was sort of a more um i guess progressive person than a lot of the people who i had uh you know not politically but just as far as like my beliefs my lifestyle what i thought was possible or what I thought I could do with my life um, than a lot of people back in, you know, from Baltimore and the East Coast. And even, you know, I'm out here in Denver now and I'm meeting a lot of, met a lot of people from the West Coast and, and from out here and stuff like that. And just realizing how many limitations there really are on that sort of more um, colonial, Puritan, um, cultural elements that still really exist in a lot of ways um, on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, full circle. It's like when you open yourself to the possibility of living a life without those rules, then the universe starts to show you. It starts to bring you more people who are transcending those limitations, transcending those beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, it's really like you're reflecting that vibration 
back to you. It's showing you, okay, you want to, you understand that you don't know. You understand that there's so much more to learn, that there's so much more outside of these limitations that have been built in. Well, I'll show you. Yes. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's see, let's learn through this now. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Cause it all, and it just brings up the idea that it is all conscious and you're, yeah. again, you're a, you're a drop of consciousness in a giant ocean of consciousness. Yeah. And, and you can just sort of tune yourself to whatever level of that larger singular consciousness that, uh, that, that you want, I guess, once you become aware of it, you know? Yeah. And that's because you're also the sea of consciousness in one singular drop. As mm-hmm. Rumi says, you know, you are like the universe is inside of us. Like it is outside of us and within. And so when mm-hmm. you start going inward, then you can see these limitations again that are in our external world, in society that we've adopted as our internal systems, our internal systems of control and fear, and then mm-hmm. are breaking those down. And it's fully the, the reflective nature of both the internal and external worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. So cool. Hell yeah, man. It's, uh, I'm so excited that we were, that our paths crossed in Sedona um, and that we were able to, to just have these types of conversations and connect on so many things. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for, for, our, for you and for our friendship and our relationship. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what, what the path opens up for us as we move forward. Me too, man. I'm, I'm incredibly excited right now. I've been, uh, you know, jumping up and, and, and skipping down the hall every morning, you know, like just really excited because I, I feel like every day is just like learning and lessons and sometimes challenges and sometimes just blessings. And um, there's, I, there's so much to be grateful for and uh, just truly value, you know, this relationship and meeting someone like you who uh, has, you know, all these, a lot of the same questions and is on a, a similar but unique path of his own. And, uh, just extremely grateful. Hell yeah, man. Feel the same exact way. Um, so what is, what's next for you in terms of pursuing your artwork more? Um, and, and um, you know, I know you're doing the graphic design stuff, but even more so on the, on just the, the, yeah, the artwork side, the, the liberated, more free side um, instead of, doing the kind of uh commissioned things sure um yeah for me it's just getting yeah just like you said like liberated free and and i'm going bigger like i'm i'm like starting to work on larger pieces and uh even even like larger drawings and stuff like that and really just trying to get more expressive and uh and just letting go and seeing where it takes me you know i'm i definitely have a lot of ideas and a lot of um visual inspiration and it kind of like compounds and the ideas kind of like aggregate over time and, uh, and so just, you know, like right now I'm working on a big, it's basically a gesture painting, you know, and I've been doing gesture drawings and really trying to work on that sort of technical classical aspect of drawing the human form, uh, usually the female form and bringing it now onto a large canvas. And I think that's kind of the next step for me. And it's something I've been dreaming about for so long, never really took the, took the step into that space of like, you know, my, my paintings before, you know, they were. 15 by 15 inches, 12 by 12, 16 by 20 things in a way. And I can be fairly intricate, intricate. Um, 
and now it's just it's just stepping back into the and, and going bigger and uh, I'm it's a lot of fun so it's an exciting time for me to start slapping down these ideas but you know like writ large now which is cool hell yeah that's dope man I'm so excited to see everything you've been working on um, and so where can people find you um, one if they want to hit you up for any sort of graphic design or logo work or anything like that um, and then where can they find your art? And I'm, I'm saying this on the episode now to make sure that by the time this comes out, you got plenty more images of your artwork uh, on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, Instagram, it's just about all on there. At uh, Matt Quick Lives. Um, and, you know, I tr- pretty much post whenever I can. I definitely uh, still have some resistance there, resistance to uh, social media. But um, all my work's on, on Matt Quick Lives, and I'm just going to keep it coming. Like, that's definitely another goal of mine is just uh, sharing more and putting it out there more. Um, and uh, mattquickdesigns.com is where people can see a lot of my graphic design work as well as some of my paintings and um, some of the prints that I made um, when I was first getting started like five years ago. So, yeah. It's all out there, man. Um, and I will make sure to link to both of those in the show description for anyone listening who wants to, uh, wants to check those out, but hell yeah, man. Thanks so much for doing this. I had a blast talking to you. Yeah, dude, this was awesome, man. It, I, I feel like the flow of it was great. And you asked some really dope questions. So this conversation has been rad, man. This is, it's all right up my alley. Awesome, man. Well, um, yeah, I'm excited to do another one and excited to see more of that artwork. Yes, sir. Keep it coming. <laughs>